Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss Uncaged Podcast. On today's show, we I, I kind of look at him kind of like this, this mystery guy that's behind the scenes. It's like the man behind the curtain. And I met him at VitFest. And through meeting him at VitFest, he had a, a great presentation. And come to find out, he also is an owner of the studio, right? That's behind the scenes. That's actually broadcasting live. So without further ado, Mira Beck, who are you? Hey, Ivan, thank you for having me on the show. And yeah, we are we're just becoming fast friends since we only met a few days ago. But yeah. after our conversation we had the other day, I just felt like we definitely clicked. And I appreciate the invite for uh, to your podcast. And I'm super excited about sharing some of my story with your, with your listeners and um, viewers. So my backstory, if you can probably tell from my accent, I'm not from uh, Southern United States uh, or from, you know, I live in Tampa. <laughs> In Florida, as we like to go, call the south of the south. <laughs> but um, I came here from the Czech Republic. So that's where I'm originally from. That's where this accent is from. And, and I originally came to the, to the United States in 1997 for a job opportunity for six months to work in Texas, disassembling some old oil towers. And it was basically, you know, an opportunity that I found in the newspaper back in the Czech Republic. And I had to pretty much, you know, get my plane ticket and $3,000 cash to pay for the work permit and uh, my uh, visa, which, you know, it, at that time, it was not that difficult to get. After that, it, it uh, became something that was much more difficult. But during that time, within 48 hours, I went from not thinking about coming to the United States to being on the plane from Prague to Zurich and from Zurich to JFK and backpack, no English and $3,200 in my pocket because I needed, like I said, the $3,000 for the work permit. But the caveat to that is as a manager at McDonald's, which was my job at that time, I used to make $2,500 per year. So $3,000 maybe doesn't sound like much here in this conversation, but mm -hmm. it was over a year of my gross salary as a manager at McDonald's. And the only money we ever had uh, was basically a car that my dad just got, almost brand new, worth about $5,000 at that time. And he had to sell it overnight to get me the $3,000. So I was, you know, I was able to take care of this opportunity. Hmm. And uh, the funny story too, within the story is that my plan was to come here for six months and make enough money to go back to the Czech Republic, which is the land of the best beer in the world, and buy a <laughs> pub that was my favorite pub that I used to hang out, you know, with my friends. And the owner was uh, putting it up for sale. So I told him, hang on for six months. I'm going to come back and I'm going to buy it cash from you. So that was the dream. Uh, you know, then uh, I landed in uh, New York the day before Thanksgiving on 1997 and got picked up by a driver from the company that took us to a hotel and gave us $10 to get our first dinner, which for me was the first time ever having Chinese food buffet at a convenience store next to the hotel. So I still remember loading up that uh, styrofoam box and getting a large bottle of Heineken, getting to the hotel uh, with seven other people. It was eight of us total. And watching some American football again for the first time in my life and waiting for the next morning. Now, the next morning, which was Thanksgiving, they got, uh, we got picked up from the hotel, taken to the Empire State Building, which you know made it look really legit. And taken to some 40th, 47th floor in the Empire State Building, got into an office with this uh, secretary looking, you know, uh, dude uh, at the front desk, uh, welcoming us in. And then another guy that basically was supposed to do the interviews with us for the work permit. Uh, that sounded more like a Russian mob than uh, than an <laughs> interview person from uh, from immigration or whatever thing. And then we handed over the $3,000 to this girl in the broom closet. 
And as some of the, you know, the, the hints I'm dropping, it may sound like, uh, or it may be already kind of a dead giveaway that this whole thing ended up being a scam. So the secretary welcoming us in was there probably to make sure that we don't leave with the money, not to really be welcoming. The, uh, the girl in the broom closet with the tattoos on her knuckles uh, and sweatpants, you know, was definitely a dead giveaway of somebody that's shady. And yeah, so we, I handed over the $3,000 along with everybody else, got dropped back of the hotel, another 10 bucks, another round of Chinese food. And then the next day was supposed to be a first day of training. And as I just mentioned, big scam, nobody showed up. And we were basically stuck at a hotel with no English, no money. I had $200 left in my pocket. And, you know, the choices were a couple. I could could have just got back on my plane and then spent the next 10 years paying my dad back for the car and probably getting made fun of by my friends for another 25 years, calling me the American because I spent 48 hours in the United States and got robbed and came home with uh, the tail between my legs. Or I could have just burned the bridges and stayed. So I obviously took the second route since I'm still here. I invested, quote unquote, invested $140 out of the 200 into a Greyhound bus ticket, of knowing that there were some job opportunities in Florida. And, you know, on Thanksgiving, I mean, if you're going to sleep under a tree, it better be a palm tree, not something up north <laughs> in the middle of winter in New York. So I spent a couple of days on a Greyhound bus heading down to Tampa and actually got off in Orlando, uh, found somebody at one of the hotels that spoke Czech, connected me with somebody who was providing uh, jobs uh, at the local hotels. And that got me to where I am for the now 23 years in Tampa, Florida. Uh, of course, didn't make my uh, pub money and didn't go back in six months. Now going on 23 years, you know, going through a lot of ups and downs and just being where I am today as a result of that. And just the last thing I'm going to say about the story here as a caveat is, you know, we're always told to be grateful for a lot of things on Thanksgiving. And since this is really my first Thanksgiving story, Mm -hmm. uh, I always tell uh, people that instead of just being thankful for the normal things, the family and health and, you know, jobs and whatever they have going on in their life, one of the things I always am thankful for on Thanksgiving are these bastards that took all the money from me and got me into this because if it wasn't for them, I would have never been where I am now. I would have never had my beautiful two kids. I would have never been sitting here talking to you uh, from my awesome studio and all the friends and people I've met over the last 23 years. None of that would probably be been part of my life if it wasn't for these guys. And you know, it ended up being, it was 120 of us total in groups of eight. So those guys definitely, you know, cashed out with 360 grand before they, skip down but uh but yeah it's i it's you know everybody everybody always you know is going through struggles and and uh, pivot points in their life that may not feel too great and you can kind of question why is it happening but typically when you look in the rearview mirror uh, after certain time passes you can kind of tell why whatever happened back then was happening and how that affected you know where you are today and typically you know it's positive so but yeah, that's how I got here, man. Yeah, if, if this is at the point where you just take the microphone and you just drop the mic. I mean, the interview's over. <laughs> you, you, right. you, you, you drop the mic. I mean, that's a hell of an origin story. I mean, coming mm-hmm. from kind of like rags to riches, but more so overcoming hurdles, right? So in that journey that people took your money, you got on a bus, which took a lot of kahunas just to say the hell with it. I'm just going to go somewhere that I've never been before. After you just came to somewhere that you haven't been before, mm-hmm. like how would you define yourself in three to five words? If you could pick three to five words to define yourself, what would those words be? Oh, that's a great question. Well, back in the day, young, restless, and uh, willing to take uh, risks. You know, if I had to do all over the, the same thing all over today at 45, I don't know that I would drop everything and, and stay. I would have probably gone back. But, you know, at 22 years old, uh, you have totally different mindset and you are willing to take a lot more risks and, you know, you have a free life, no family to depend on you and things like that. So you know, I would definitely say, you know, definitely courageous in that, in that case. And um, in a lot of ways, probably just willing to take the risk, you know, hmm. risk taker. So, I mean, obviously with taking that risk, there 
comes with, with great rewards, right? You, not only did you have a, a great journey to success, but the, the title of your company is Overnight Success Studios, which is ingenious in itself. So talk about, I mean, this is not your first studio, right? You built other studios to get to where you are. Tell us that story a little bit. Yeah, over the years, you know, after I ended up at that hotel working, you know, washing dishes, working in the kitchen, uh, getting a second job at another hotel in case I couldn't work 18 hours that day, I was able to work 12 and then put out another six at different place. So, you know, at that time I was working hard, obviously not making six to 8,000 a month like I was promised uh, through that ad. I was making 550 an hour. So it took 16 or 18 hours to make 100 bucks at that time. And, um, so, you know, I was just working for a few months and then decided I want to go to school to learn English in case, you know, I go back, I can get a better job and stuff like that. So it was kind of the normal, you know, I guess the American dream prerequisites, washing dishes, delivering pizza, you know, working, uh, riding, driving a forklift at Valpac, uh, the factory for the coupons that we get, the blue envelope in the mail now. Mm. But I kind of went through that. I wasn't like an entrepreneur from day one by any means. So my whole goal initially was to just learn the language, experience this, and then possibly go back. Now, in the meantime, I found a girl, fell in love, you know, was married for 13 years and had, I have two beautiful kids from that. So at that point, you know, my mindset shifted, obviously, family and getting some, um, getting some security. Um, but I was still at school. I was going to school so I can stay as my student visa uh, status and still, you know, keep everything on the up and up and be here legally. And then eventually, back in the Czech Republic for three years, I was trying to get to a film school as a producer. And in Czech, unfortunately, there was only one school that accepted 10 people per year. And there were about 400 people applying. So it doesn't matter if you were number 11. Now, like one year, I ended up being like the 34th on the list, but it didn't make any difference. I never got into that school. And here, I obviously had an opportunity when I was in, um, in a college, when they opened a digital media degree with videography track to just basically join that program and all I had to do is pay. I didn't have to qualify. I didn't have to compete with 400 people for 10 spots. And so I just signed up. I started doing video production. And instead of a producer, which would have been more like the money guy, mm-hmm. I just, you know, started learning videography and storytelling and just really fell in love with this uh, video art instead of, you know, being on the production side as a producer. So I quickly graduated from from that college, even though I was there for almost seven years on and off, changing my major seven times over those years because I was afraid to take a public speaking class. So I started whatever international business and I switched to graphic design, switched to accounting, switched to uh, programming. Like I was making these switches every single time I was up to take public speaking class. And then and when I finally fell in love with video and I wanted to finish the digital media degree, I took the class first time ever online so I was able to do my public speaking class using my webcam, which I thought was my way out. And then as soon as we started, the, the syllabus said, you need to go and join Toastmaster and deliver two <laughs> presentations live. You need to find your own audience and deliver your presentations and have it recorded and ship it over to the teacher. And I was like, oh my, if I just took that class in person the very first time, I would have been done with it five years ago. So something that I thought I was getting the easy way out became even harder because we had to do all that stuff. But hey, um, needless to say, I graduated. I got my public speaking class and everything I just described, all these different, you know, 120 credit hours just to get my two-year degree uh, really turned out to be all blessing in disguise when I started my own business because the last semester of school, uh, they were molding us to become news uh, videographers and news photographers, they call them. And I didn't want to work at a news station. Uh, all these deadlines and not caring about the quality and uh, not be able to really be as uh, artistic as you want to be. Mm-hmm. I just didn't want to do it. So I started my own business right out of school. I was one of the two students in that class that uh, when somebody called the school to find a cheaper videographer for their wedding or their project, 
they would basically give it to me or the other person. Hmm. And I was able to start doing some paid gigs while I was still at school. And I absolutely fell in love with the idea of having my own business. And at that time, I, you know, besides going to school, I was working two jobs and it was really, you know, hustle at its best. I mean, I was sleeping four hours a day and either working or going to school for the rest of the time. But what, um, what got me into having my own business was the fact that where I came from, you get four to six weeks of vacation every single year, uh, hmm. mandatory vacation. Here, I started at a normal job doing two weeks. And after five years, they would give me a third week. Another five years, I maybe get four weeks. And that drove me crazy. So I figured if I can have my own business, I can take as much vacation time as I want. I can go home for the summer, you know, visit my family and just go maybe twice a year and do all that. And then the funny thing is that as soon as I started my own business, uh, I didn't take one day off for like two years. So the very, the very reason that it got me to start my own business uh, really, you know, didn't happen. It took me like three years or two and a half years before I went back to see my family again. But I wouldn't have it any other way. It's, it's been a ride and I've been basically now my own boss for 16 years. I'm officially declaring myself unemployable because I don't, I, mm. if I got hired by anybody, I swear to God, I would walk in and I would try to fix everything that's wrong with that company. And I would be like the worst employee ever. So I, I think I'm going to own my own business and live this lifestyle with all the good and bad for the rest of my life. So that's kind of the backstory on that. But if I fast forward back and kind of loop back to your question about overnight success and where it came from, uh, I started writing a book called Overnight Success and the 17 years leading up to the night. <laughs> and that's really the story of all of us, I believe. You know, there's no such a thing as the overnight success in that cliche form because that's kind of the tip of the iceberg there's always a lot of years and a lot of hustle a lot of struggle typically leading up to the point where you look like you know you got this overnight but it really didn't happen overnight and then um in my mind however so just to clarify what overnight success in my definition is is the decision you make to become successful because most people never get to the point where they get introduced to a seminar, a coach or a mentor that can guide them on the path where they actually see that they could be successful. Most people just go through their life, you know, making money, paying bills, you know, doing whatever they're doing. But uh, making the decision to become successful is an event. Like you really need to decide. And then after you make the decision, you need to take the first step towards success and success honestly it can be anything like everybody's definition of success is going to be different but the principle is the same it starts with a decision and i believe personally that as soon as you make the decision hmm. you already are an overnight success and all the steps and all the actions you have to take after that to make your million dollars and get your you know vacation times and your financial freedom and health, freedom, whatever your goal is, that all comes as a result of steps you take and action you take uh, on the journey to success. Huh. So hopefully that makes sense. And of course, I named my studio Overnight Success Studios for the same reason to stay on the brand. Uh, and in a sense, we also developed a process where we help people that have some sort of knowledge and expertise to turn it into a course in one day. So they literally come in and we shoot and edit at the same time. And basically by the time they leave, they have their product. And if they put all the other bits and pieces in place, they can click a button and launch their course and make some sales the next day. And that really turns it back, you know, to the overnight success studios and making it so it's not just a cliche, but there is actually a thought behind it. Got you. So, I mean, you're definitely an analytical thinker and I could just tell by, by your logo as well, too. I mean, there's a lot of s symbolism inside that logo and a lot of, most people may just see the S, but obviously it's an O, it's an S, it's a cube. It's, yeah. it's all these different things. Um, did you create that logo yourself or what did you? No, I will not take a credit for this. I work with a phenomenal graphic designer on several logos and my book design and mm. everything else. And that guy just was full of talent and he designed this. Uh, and the funny thing is that at that time, you know how, I mean, you know a lot about graphic design as well mm -hmm. and you have your agency and stuff, but 
uh, I used to like actually sitting down with the person. And I know normal graphic designers, it would drive them nuts because that's typically not how they like to work. Mm-hmm. But I would pay this guy a daily rate. He would come over and I would sit with him and he would do a little bit of work and I kind of was working on my things on the side. Mm-hmm. And I would look up and I'm like, I love that. I'm, I don't like this. And can we move this around, whatever. But I was giving him a real-time feedback, which again, some people would probably take the hard way. Uh, in my opinion, it was better than him designing five concepts, sending it to me, me mm-hmm. having to give them feedback and he wasting a ton of time. So I love this real-time back and forth uh, design. And that's how this logo was designed along with several other pieces that he did for me. But uh, I yeah, I love the logo. And I totally, I'm glad that you picked up on the O and the S mm-hmm. and uh, the different, you know, color in between. But uh, thank you for the compliment on the logo. But yeah, it was... Uh, was a guy that I absolutely love everything he's designed ever uh, since great. then. Great. So, I mean, being that, that you work in a studio, right? And I've had people on the show that were photographers and they work in studios as well. There's always one of crazy stories, something that has happened that, you know, either somebody running through the studio butt-ass naked, some, something crazy, some explosion or whatever. What's the, the craziest thing that's ever happened in, while you've been recording in studios? Oh, man. That's a... Uh... Phenomenal question, and I don't know if I'm going to have something that's super <laughs> awesome to laugh at for you because <sighs> I don't think I can't think of anything really in that realm. I, you know, I remember I do live events too on location and stuff, so we would have you know, speaker getting on the stage and running it back and puking in the bucket, uh, and then running back on the stage because they were so nervous, things like that. But in the actual studio. I can't tell you, there was never a fire. We didn't have any crazy animals running through. We didn't have any, <laughs> anybody collapse. You know, I had a client one time, which was really, I mean, you know, thinking of that, maybe that would be in the funny environment. But he was working, working after lunch. He's, you know, doing his modules, his lessons. And suddenly he's like, stops. And he's like, I need a nap. So he runs over to my conference room, lays on a conference table for 20 minutes takes a 20 minute nap and then goes back to in front of the camera and continues on. So I never seen, I mean, I know people like to take naps sometimes to mm-hmm. recharge, but I've never seen anybody doing it in a way like, go, 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 stop, go take a nap, <laughs> come back and do it on the, on the conference table. But yeah, I, yeah, I just wish I had better stories for you because I know a lot of stories out there that may be more, more funny and more interesting <laughs> than this one. No, I mean, it's definitely good. I mean, even to the point, I mean, we're in that space where we're dealing with speaking on a regular basis and it's always a learning curve. It's, you know, I was just talking about like my speaking engagement at VidFest and like the mistakes that I made. So I know that my next speaking engagement, I won't make those. So to your point, you could be 20 years in the game and still turn around and throw up in a bucket because you never know. You get butterflies every single time you speak. Yeah. So um, moving on to the, to the next question, right? If you could do everything all over again, what would you do differently? Oh, that's a phenomenal question. So if I had to do it all over again, I would, like if I have the knowledge that I have and I lose everything today, I have to go back. I would definitely focus on one thing until I get it to completion because I am a serial entrepreneur, shiny object syndrome, you know, the whole nine yards. And every good idea is good and I'm just spreading myself too thin. So mm. if I had to do it all over, I'd pick one thing and just focus all my effort on marketing and implementing that one thing, which in this case, you know, it would be most likely the studio and the course creation. Mm. Uh, but in the past, I've done that. I've done live AV. I was teaching marketing. Uh, you know, I was just doing so many different things that were just taking my focus away and really what i'm describing is implementation of the um, 80 20 rule you know like you get 80 percent of your income coming from 20 percent of your efforts Mm -hmm. Uh, and this 80 20 rule applies really in every aspect of your life and i guarantee you somebody that's listening is in their business and if they really sit down and break down where their income is coming from and where their efforts are going, they will probably find out that 80% effort of their efforts only produces 20% of their income. Hmm. And then the other 20% of their effort produces 80% of the income. So that's what I would focus on mainly. Yeah. Hmm. 
Hmm. It's a very, very interesting answer. So, I mean, with your background, it seems like you're very business savvy, right? You have business acumen. Obviously, you're in, in your mid-40s, so you've had time to grow and adapt this. But usually people, well, not usually, my main question in this sense is, do you come from an entrepreneurial background? Be outside of the fact that you've you've earned a lot of the things that you've got. Is your dad, is your mom an entrepreneur? Like, where does the savviness come from? <laughs> I'm getting chills on my back just thinking about the answer right now. Hey, uh, I the answer is no, not at all. So both my mom and my dad went to vocational high school. Ended up working in a factory. My dad in the music uh, instrument factory. Uh, for the entire time, all the way from high school to his retirement a couple of years ago, worked in the same place. My mom worked in a factory. Um, she actually passed uh, away the year I came here. So a few months before I decided to come here, um, she passed away to cancer and just horrible battle with cancer. And um, that's basically what she did her whole life. So now when I, and that's why I'm laughing when you were asking the question, because when I call my dad, every time I tell him about this new idea, new adventure, something I'm going to invest into or I'm buying, it's always the same thing. Oh my God, don't spend any money, put everything in the mattress, don't take any risks, work this, you know, go get a job for a company so you can have a retirement. And all that, that mindset basically from the generation before us, mm-hmm. which you know, I don't blame him for it. Like that's, they grew up in that. That's how they were brought up and you know having social security and retirement and all that stuff was fine i'm afraid in our day and age we'll be lucky if we even see social security when we retire i really feel that we need to be responsible for our own retirement Hmm. and do whatever it takes to either save up or make some investments or build your business and prep it for sale or do whatever it takes but not relying on the government to take care of us when we decide to retire so, yeah, so definitely no influence on entrepreneurship, not even mentioning that my first 14 years of my life, I was living in the communist Czechoslovakia. It only became oh. the Czech Republic in 1989 and uh, or the communism dropped in 1989 and became Czech Republic in 1990, 1991, something like oh. that. But. I didn't know anything about entrepreneurship because there was no entrepreneurship in, in the communist countries. It's everybody gets the same. Everybody works. Everybody, you know, everything is controlled by the government. There is no entrepreneurs during those times. Now, of course, when the borders opened up, I started seeing companies coming in. And as I mentioned, you know, I worked at McDonald's. There was no McDonald's during communism. So that came in after 1989. Hmm. But over here, uh, my first taste of having my own business while I was still working was to start my own custom furniture company, which I built five pieces in my garage and couldn't even get a loan from Home Depot to buy supplies. So I stopped doing that after, uh, after I built five pieces and make pretty much zero money. And then I started a billiard company called Olympic Billiards and I was going to sell pool supplies, you know, billiard supplies. But before I even launched it, I got a call from the United States Olympic Committee telling me that, you know, nice effort and nice looking website, but uh, they have a copyright on the name Olympic and I can't use it. And, you know, at that point, I just got discouraged enough that instead of changing the name, I just shut down that project as well. Mm. And then finally, I started the video production uh, company shooting weddings initially, about 100 weddings deep before I you know, found this uh, world of seminars and hmm. self-development and all of that stuff. And I never looked back, you know, now 500 seminars later, um, I've seen, you know, thousands of speakers and done ton of seminars and stuff, but it all started, you know, just kind <laughs> of as a little stepping, stepping blocks. Like I didn't fall into this, even with the seminar business, you know, I heard of Dan Kennedy, the first seminar I ever did and marketing and sales and all of that stuff. And, you know, I subscribed to his newsletter and got some books mm. that I never end up reading. Like a year went by before I got hired again to do that same exact seminar the next year. And that's when finally it clicked. So none of it really happened for me, like, you know, from day to, from one day to another. Like that was a process. It took me years to mm. even get on the path. Uh, to my own success, even though I was making some steps, I guess, inevitably at that time. 
Yeah, it's funny that you said that. I mean, I think that's why you and I kind of connected. We, like we just met literally a couple of days ago. And to your point, I mean, the furniture thing, I, I got into like lamp building and I was trying to sell lamps into cigar bars and I, I've mm-hmm. accomplished some of that. But to your point, I've jumped around in multiple different facets and yeah. I think it's just kind of, it's not necessarily um, ego, but it's more hunger. It's more of a desire to find something to hold on to, mm-hmm. to find your level of success and to be an entrepreneur and be successful in it. So you're willing to take the risks and pour your heart into it, see if it's going to work and develop. And if it doesn't, then you kind of, it sets you back, but then you restart and do it again. So I definitely commend you for finding your niche, right? I mean, that, that's really what it is in finding success. You have to find your niche. You have to find your target audience and then run with it. So for you, I mean, yeah, you're one doing thing it. is, you know, always also not looking things as a setbacks either, because my seven majors that I switched at school, it all came handy when I needed to build my own website, mm. when I did my own accounting and everything that I started, uh, when I started my own, you know, video production company, all of that thing, all of those things came, came in handy. Mm. And even building the Olympic billiards website. I mean, I just got a test run on using HTML and learning a lot of the things mm-hmm. in practice. So, you know, I have no regrets. It all looking back, you know, there was a reason for all of those things that happened uh, in my life. So, you know, failing forward, failing fast and, and brushing it off and just taking the next step. I think that's another big key to a lot of people's success, you know? So mm-hmm. when you fail one time, you don't fold and go cry mm-hmm. in the corner. You just kind of learn from it, move on to the next thing, you know? So yeah. shake yeah. it off and keep running, man. So obviously you're a, you're a big family man as well. So how do you juggle your family life with your work life? Well, that's a great question. And, you know, that would be another one of those things. If I had to go back, I would probably have done some things differently because in the beginning I was just focusing on working, 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 traveling and just hustling and then not much time, you know, for the family. And that's, you know, when I mentioned I was married for 13 years, they just suggest that now I'm not and end up, uh, you know, losing that relationship, ended up in divorce. And I, of course, love my kids and I see them as much as I can. Uh, but now what I'm doing and what I would have, if I could go back and do something differently would be scheduling my personal time and my family time first on my, on my calendar mm-hmm. and then filling the gaps with work rather than scheduling work and then try to squeeze in the family time and, um, you know, the personal time in it. And that's why, you know, I, um, was going through ups and downs as far as relationship goes, my health, my weight, like there was so many different things that I was doing. And typically when I was doing the best financially, everything else in my, in my uh, life was out of whack. Mm. And, you know, having, being healthy and having a routine and, you know, doing some meditation and just taking care of yourself and then, you know, taking care of your family and then, you know, putting the business kind of where the business is supposed to be. Like most of us start our business to support our lifestyle. And then it turns out that the lifestyle is supporting the business. Mm -hmm. And then you are in that route for a decade. And then you finally realize what's happening. And then you learn from that. Then you go back to uh, refocus, you know. But uh, if I had a mentor or somebody could tell me early on to really focus on me and then put the business as a second, as a secondary thing or mm-hmm. third thing, whatever, after your family, that would have been a big, big deal for me. So I, I probably wouldn't have to go through some of those yo-yo uh, stages, you know, where I would just be, you know, really bad health wise and my back and weight gain and all that stuff. And then go back to normal again and get a health coach and work out. And, you know, those were my best times of my entire business career. It's always been those times where I had the you know, structure in place and I was scheduling the time for me and the time with my family and then do the business as a secondary thing. Yeah. I mean, that's a very powerful answer. And I think most entrepreneurs, including myself, fall victim to exactly what you just described, trying to find the balance, trying to juggle things. So, I mean, I think you definitely alluded to something that we all should practice. So what are your morning routines? I mean, coming from that mind state to now that you have more of a grasp and a hold on what your goals and what you should be doing, what are your morning routines? What time do you wake up? What do you do every morning? Yeah, so now I'm back on track. But before I moved to the studio, I definitely fell into this COVID thing a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wish I took advantage of being at home a little bit more. But uh, the last two months or so, I ended up moving out of my rental 
that I was living in while I was waiting for this new house with the studio being built. Mm. And then I got kicked out of that because my lease was up. My studio got closed because my lease was up uh, a couple of weeks before I got this one. So I was in the state where I have to say with everything I know and everything I know I should be doing, I was not. I got a few weeks of time where I would be just watching Netflix and eating ice cream and I'm just gonna, you know, it is what it is. Looking back, am I proud of it? No, but now that I finally got back on track, uh, my morning routine is I get up at five in the morning, which was always my dream. But during the, the rut time, I was kind of, you know, getting up at seven or eight and mm -hmm. just, I just hate getting up late because you, at the end of the day, I feel like I haven't accomplished anything. I feel this sluggish feeling. Mm -hmm. When I get out of bed at five, by noon, I feel like I've conquered the world and I, I'm yes. so accomplished. Now, do I am I a morning person? No, <laughs> not, by, not by choice, but, or maybe by choice, yes, but not by nature. Mm -hmm. So I get up at five in the morning. My key to be able to actually get out of bed at five in the morning is A, going to bed by 10 o'clock the night before. So if I stay up until midnight, there's no way I'm getting up at five. So the morning routine starts the night before for me. Then um, I like to write down the night before what my big thing to accomplish is for the next day. So, you know, I don't like long to-do lists, but, you know, if I accomplish these two things that day or this one big thing, it's going to be mission accomplished and then anything else will be a bonus. So now in the morning for me to actually physically get out of bed, I need to put my phone with my alarm in my bathroom that takes me <laughs> at least 10 steps to get to it. Now, if I put it on my nightstand, I'm, I'm the king of snoozing. I can literally have multiple alarms running every 10 minutes. So like, let's say every two to three minutes, I get the alarm and I keep hitting the snooze button sometimes for hours. Hmm. So I literally would go for two hours snoozing every two minutes. It's ridiculous because when I finally get up, I'm like, what the heck did I just do? Like, this is crazy. But during that time, you're like trying to get back to the dream you've, you've had and you know, whatever. I, I'm sure that a lot of people know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, so get out of bed, hit the ground running at five, get my alarm away from me so I can, you know, hit and kill it and not go back to bed. Now with my back, I have this massage chair, the full body massage chair. So my first thing really when I crawl out of bed is sit in the chair for eight minutes to get my back going and the blood flowing. And I just love that as a part of my routine. I can start thinking a little bit, waking the brain up. Uh, I love to read for at least 30 minutes, something inspirational, you know, Tony Robbins books or just anything that I can do to start feeding my brain. And then I just got um, the Peloton thread, which is, oh my God, it's the best treadmill I've ever seen in my life and experienced in my life. So I, I, I don't really run because of my back, but I do speed walking. So I go for 30 minutes, speed walk on the treadmill. And again, most of the time I don't do the classes. I just uh, watch like, you know, Russell Brunson videos or some sort of video that uh, I can, again, continue to develop myself and my skills. And then I would, uh, you know, have my bulletproof coffee. So instead of breakfast, I'm kind of been for the last year and a half hooked on the, uh, you know, what bulletproof coffee is with butter and uh, this brain mm. octane coconut oil. Nice. And mix it all together in the blender so it doesn't have all that grease swimming on the top of it. But it it's basically becomes nice white foamy coffee, whatever. But yeah. I, I just love that. And I can run on that thing till noon, one o'clock uh, before I get some lunch. But that would be, you know, the morning routine. And, you know, ideally I still fall into the trap of looking at my phone too early and looking at my emails. And as soon as I see something come through that immediately gets my brain into that mode and it's game over. I've done this in the past and I really, I'm working toward doing it again. It's simply not even open my email till eight o'clock or nine o'clock and just focus on the planning and myself in the first mm. few hours of the day. Because I know once I open up the email, there's going to be a fire I need to put out. There's going to be clients oh, asking for a study. There's going to be something that's going to throw me off the schedule. So taking care of myself first in the morning instead of leaving it for the evening uh, typically, you know, works out because there's no variables in the morning unless you feel really bad, have a headache or something. <laughs> you know, typically you can commit to that routine. Um, when I try to go to the gym in the afternoon and stuff, it almost never happens because there's always something going on. 
Gotcha. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's it's a hell of a morning routine. I mean, you got it down to science. It's crazy because, I mean, majority of people that I, that I talk to, right, they have regiments like that, very strict, and they try to stick to that script. And also part of that and was a good segue for you was you're talking about, like, learning, right? So what books are you reading right now, like, or audio books are you listening to currently? Yeah, so right now I'm actually deep into um, course because, you know, I help a lot of people create courses and I buy a lot of courses or invest into a lot of courses, I should say. Mm -hmm. And so right now I'm going through Russell Brunson's uh, 10X uh, training, which is all about webinar creation and his perfect webinar uh, process. So I'm pretty deep into that. And um, I have uh, Letting Go is a book that I'm about halfway through. And then I usually read more than one book, but I, right now on my nightstand, there's a Think and Grow Rich, ready to go again. I've read that book five times already, and I feel like I need to read it like once a year, every year, because every single time I read it, I find some totally different message come out of it. Mm-hmm. So that is one that I keep reading over and over. And then I do have probably close to 90 books in my Audible account, mm-hmm. and I like to listen to podcasts. Uh, when I'm driving or an audio book, if it's a longer drive, but you know, Joe Rogan is my, one of the podcasts I would listen to. Um, and his podcasts are, you know, four hours long sometimes. So it lasts me for a few days to listen to one of the episodes, but I have several other podcasts that I would load up and, and listen to in the car because even though I work from home now, I don't travel as much and I don't have to commute every now and then when I have to get out, I, you know, <laughs> a listen to something and B, I'm very appreciative of the fact that I don't have to drive anywhere every single day and commute, but I very much appreciate what I have going on now, basically working from my home again and uh, not have to be on the road with all the crazy people out there. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's funny that you brought up Think and Grow Rich. I mean, literally on this podcast, as I started it February this year, like you're number six to seven, probably number eight person, including myself, that has brought up Think and Grow Rich and has made this almost the same exact comment that you made. Like you should read it at least once a year. You yeah. should read it. Every time you read it, you're going to get something else out of it. And it's one of those books that has been around since like 1932. It's a timeless book. So yep. again, if you have not read this book, this is not the first person. This is not the second person. It's not the third person on this podcast that has says, pick up this book and, and, and take it listen to it read it there's an all yeah. format so yeah um i can tell you i know several very successful people and one common denominator between all of those is that they read think and grow rich either as the first book of the year mm. starting on january 1st every year or they start on their birthday mm. so but pretty much the common denominator is they all read it some 20 times some even more and everybody really defers back to the book. And if you look at it, some of those principles for those of uh, the listeners that haven't heard of it or read it yet, you know, you look at Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn and all these people that are now like the big motivational speakers and, and these gurus, most of those principles come back from that uh, Think and Grow Rich book. Like that is kind of the business Bible of, you know, where every other principle that you hear today you know, people put their own spins on things, but the principles that the 13 principles or 16 principles, whatever, mm-hmm. in that book, uh, pretty much everything you hear around from all these experts and gurus go, goes right back to that book. So it's an awesome book to read. Definitely, definitely. So what, what tools do you use in your business that you wouldn't be able to do what you do without? So <laughs> the last few months, definitely Zoom and uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, Zoom calls and, you know, this technology. Uh, for the daily stuff, you know, we have our CRM. I'm using Keep, which used to be Infusionsoft, to run my database and my CRM. Mm-hmm. I use ClickFunnels for all my funnels. And I have another platform called Experienceify that I use for my uh, membership platforms. And, you know, those are really kind of the software stuff. And, of course, you know, other tools would be, for me, video equipment, cameras, lights, things like that in my, in my studio plus the giant uh, video wall that we you saw at Vidfest mm. on the first day that we used a lot, a lot for our virtual summits and virtual meetings from here. So, but yeah, that's kind of what I probably do on a daily basis for sure. And Calendly for scheduling. I mean, I love that, fa- that fact uh, because I'm horrible with calendar and keeping it up, but having automation plugged in 
mm-hmm. to scheduling, which has always been my dream. And really, it's only been the last six months where I was able to finally implement it, where it's reliable and, you know, it's very kind of predictable. Um, and it's working for me. So me sending out a link and somebody clicking the link, mm-hmm. choosing their time slot to chat with me, and then calendly talking to Zoom and setting up the meeting automatically and then slapping it on my calendar. So when I wake up, I just see new stuff on my calendar and I go and at the time I click a button and it's working. That to me was critical because otherwise I would be missing appointments. I would have to be doing things by going back and forth via email with people uh, or text messages, whatever. But, you know, having some sort of automation when it comes to scheduling, uh, it's definitely a life changer for me. Solid stuff. So if I'm a new entrepreneur and I'm stepping on the scene, let's say I'm 27 years old and just like you, I'm on that journey. I'm trying to figure things out. I'm jumping around. What words of wisdom would you have for me? As an entrepreneur, well, uh, I'm going to go back to the, um, you know, set, get your values straight and, you know, are you single running wild? You can do pretty much whatever you want and go hustle and work around the clock if you want and find some time to take care of yourself and your health because eventually that is going to be the only thing you got left. And if you're, you don't take care of your health, none of it, none, nothing else really matters. Now, if you were to have a family, you have other obligations, things like that, I would say, again, get your values straight and schedule your life around what's more, most important to you and then fill in the rest of it with work. And then, um, you know, the other thing would be um, just find what you're passionate about, you know, right, right in the beginning. Because in the, there's, you know, there's Russ Whitney is one of my clients and, and um, pretty popular guy out there. But I've learned this from him. So there's like four stages of life. And the second and third stage is what I like to refer to is, you know, from your 20s to your maybe late 30s, you're in this warrior stage. And most of us use that stage to hustle, make money, and typically end up with some health issues and relationship problems and all of that stuff because all that we were doing was hustling and focusing on being the warrior. Now, after the warrior stage in the early 40s, for most people, you move into the statesman stage where you start looking for the higher purpose, like what else is to life besides work? And what is my higher purpose? How can, how can I help other people? How can I pass down what I've learned from my mentors and, and throughout this journey? And I would uh, say if you can get to that point faster mm. and move from the warrior stage to the statement stage in your tw- late 20s instead of early 40s, that would be a life changer that would probably help you retire by the time you're 40 and, you know, live life that's way more valuable and way more fun. And, you know, you're going to figure out your, your big why and your life purpose and, and you know, what do you want to do uh, much sooner in life than, you know, in your, at your retirement age. So, you know, that would be that. And definitely, most definitely, get a mentor, get somebody. Once you figure out what you want to do in life, find somebody who's done it already. Hmm. And most people that I know are the real successful people, not just the flashy sports cars, mansions, and being one payment away from losing it all because it's on credit and really they're broke. Like find somebody, you know, those people typically will be the ones that will not be willing to share their wisdom with you. Now, the ones that are the quiet multimillionaires that are really successful deep down, but they don't flash around with, you know, all the other fancy stuff. Those I found are typically the ones that will be happy to share with you hmm. a lot of their wisdom and mentor you a little bit and, you know, do things that would help you fast track your success. So definitely find a mentor that's been where you want to be and find a good one that will actually, you know, really want to be helpful and, and uh, paid forward as they typically like to do. And, you know, once you get to that point, make sure you pay it forward to somebody that's younger than you and need some guidance, you know, and that if we continue that cycle of helping the younger generations to achieve success faster, you know, I think over time, the world is going to be a better place for sure. Wow. I mean, that's, that's a definitely a powerful and insightful answer to, and I think 
it's also one of those answers that is building blocks. It's not just a generic answer. It's giving people exactly what to do and how to do it. So I definitely appreciate and commend you for giving that, that level of detail and insight into that answer. Um, so moving into how could people get in contact with you? I mean, websites, social media accounts. I mean, for me, if somebody really needs, uh, you know, to t- chat with me and, and have a conversation about their business or, you know, their journey, if somebody needs some help, the easiest way to reach out to me is just shoot me an email, uh, Mira, M-I-R-A, at beckav.com. That's B-E-C-K-A-V.com. And, you know, we obviously I can help people with, putting on live events. I can help people with creating courses or running virtual events from our, from our place. But I'm also always help, very happy to help to just get on the phone with somebody on a Zoom call and just have a conversation about their next project. And whether we work together or not, you know, it doesn't really make any difference to me because I know statistically a lot of people do become my clients and I'm totally happy to talk to everybody um, mm-hmm. even if we don't do business together. So I'm here, I'm open book. If any, any part of my story inspired you, if, uh, you know, I have something that you may find useful, just reach out to me, shoot me an email, mention that you heard me on this show. And, um, so I know where you came from and I'll be happy to help you. Um, on social media, it's under Miroslav back. So I don't know if you have a show notes, you can just spell it out, but M I R O S L A V, which is the full name. Mira is just a short version of that. So Miroslav, last name back. Uh, I'm on Facebook, pretty active. So you can hit me up on Facebook and we can connect through there. Gotcha. I mean, I could definitely attest to it, man. I reached out to him and that's how we even got on this call right now. I reached out to him. Our 30-minute call probably turned out to be like an hour. and We were just kind of yeah. bouncing ideas and having a the conversation. was definitely not only insightful, but I think it was more so stepping stones and building blocks to, to get to the next level. So I definitely appreciate you. And then anybody that's out there that's listening, I would definitely take them up on that offer and give them a phone call sooner than later. Um, so going into the bonus round, right? If you could spend 24 hours in a day with anybody dead or alive, who would it be and why? <laughs> that's a good one. So my some, somewhat funny answer would probably be Donald Trump which uh, may just uh, get half of the people stop listening. But I'm not talking about the president, Donald Trump. I'm definitely talking about the business Doing guy it. that yeah. was able to build the empire that he's had. And uh, I always used to love watching The Apprentice and uh, doing that. But to, to bring it back to actual person, you know, I, I love Gene Simmons mm. and I, from the band Kiss. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen him talk, but, you know, a lot of people may not know how much of a great businessman he is. And, you know, never drank, never did any drugs. I mean, he literally was one of the rock stars that was always clean and always focused on building his business, making a ton of money. I think Kiss, last time when I saw Gene speak, was uh, pumping out about 3,000 promotional products. He always says, we have a Kiss logo and anything from condoms to caskets. (laughs) So they go from birth to death and everything in between. And... um, I feel like that guy, if I could spend 24 hours with him and shadow mm-hmm. him and pick his brain on some of his philosophies and some of his business strategies, um, would have been really, really awesome. And I even, you know, back, if there's anybody that actually was watching the initial episodes of The Apprentice, mm-hmm. he was, I think, in the second season or whatever, ended up leaving really early. But uh, I think he would have won it by, by a landslide if he stayed. But um, after talking to... Uh, some of his people at one of the seminars I was at, uh, they did say that he had a prior engagement. He already knew he's going to leave after a couple episodes, but hmm. just those two episodes that he actually did some of the tasks and stuff, you could just tell how smart that guy is and how he thinks. Um, but then, you know, there was uh, the reality show that they did, uh, Gene Simmons, Family Jewels as hmm. well. I love watching that one. So a lot of nuggets with that guy and I would definitely love to spend a day with him. I think it would be pretty awesome. And another guy that people may or may not know about is uh, Nido Kubain. Hmm. Nido Kubain is, um, he used to be a president of the National Speakers Association. A lot of other, you know, Lazy Boy, he's on the board of a lot of companies like Lazy Boy and um, the, some great harvest company, uh, bread company, whatever. But 
most importantly, after all his successes and all the money he's made in that world, he took over a high point university in, mm. I believe it's in North Carolina and took that school from this worn down college to investing, I don't know if it was 500, 700 million dollars through different fundraisers and donations and stuff like that and turn it into school that I've heard several of my friends that have kids exploring colleges that are actually taking them to tour that college. Yeah. But there are so many things he's done to that place and listening to him speak is so inspiring uh, that again, you know, the, the guy used to, or maybe still does, give his time in units. So if you make a million dollar donation to the college, he'll give you, you know, two units of his time, which is usually yeah. five minutes is one unit. But um, I think that, you know, spending a day with that guy would be pretty awesome. But yeah, I look him up. Nido Cobain is um, uh, another awesome, awesome cool. um, person. Yeah, Definitely, definitely. Well, I, I definitely uh, appreciate, like, the detail insight that you give. And again, I, I had the same experience with the call on you, and I knew that you was going to come on this podcast and deliver a lot of damn value. And I think you went above and beyond. Um, this is the time when I usually give the microphone to, to my guests because in, in these conversations, you never know what's in your mind, right? So here's an opportunity for you to ask me any questions that you may have had. Great. Yeah. So um, let's go back to some of the stuff that I actually shared. But uh, well, I would love to ask you about your origin story, but I'm assuming that you may have shared that with uh, your listeners already. So if you don't want to repeat that part, let, let's talk about your keys to success. So uh, what, what, what have you learned already by kind of trial and error? What were some of the failures you learned from and use it as a stepping block to the next thing that um, you could share with the listeners that you may have not shared yet hmm. in the last episodes that you've produced? Yeah, I think one big thing that I've learned it's to be fearless and, and not fearless in being reckless, but being fearless in somebody's going to tell you no, that you would fail something will go wrong and you're still going to do it. And just in that space of understanding that no matter what's thrown at you, if you're going to overcome it, right. And you're deciding to overcome it, no matter what happens, you will overcome it. So being fearless is, is one thing that I, I live by. Like I teach that to my kids is just kind of like fear is not really an option as a choice. Right. So don't make that choice. Think about the outcomes and focus your mind on the positive outcomes. That's awesome. And the second question I would have for you after our initial conversation, you've mentioned all the different pieces of all the different businesses and facets to your business. Mm -hmm. So share with us all the different components that you have currently that you are running from mm -hmm. your books to your digital agency to everything in between. And how do you juggle all of that? Like <laughs> what kind of systems you have in place or what is your schedule look like so you're able to actually pay attention to all of those things and you know yeah. get all those books that you keep writing and have everything else going on like my head was spinning you just telling me all the stuff you do uh even though i've been through a lot of it but i'm still like how does this guy doing that so yeah, yeah. now it's an opportunity for me to finally get the answer maybe i mean yeah so for me it was creating microsystems so there's big systems and there's systems within systems. So when I look at my books, I'm like, okay, here's a system for book development and is it scalable? And I'll test that theory. Okay, what part of this book do I need to kind of develop? And then who can I pass this book off to to kind of complete it? So whether that's copying, editing, designing, even, you know, probably ghostwriting, right? So yeah. that's, that's one system. Uh, as far as my... Um, publication because we're also helping other people write their books it's the same philosophy whatever i'm doing for my system for my books then i'm taking that and i'm perfecting it and then i'm reselling it and helping other people go through that journey through the system that i already created for myself so that's how i'm doing the books as far as like the web design graphic design and agency it's the same thing there right so it's a system within a system I, to your point, we have CRM set up, you know, we use everything from HubSpot, for example, to kind of have things organized. And then I'm always constantly online at like AppSumo. And I'm always looking for deals that are lifetime deals that are systematic deals. So what does that look like for me? Prime example, my podcast, right? I need transcriptions. Yeah. So I got a software that was a lifetime deal that has transcriptions that also allows me to send this particular transcription to an editor and give them access to my files. 
So to me, that's a gold mine. It means I don't have to sit there and read through my transcriptions. I can just say, hey, go edit these five podcasts. Here's the link. Step and repeat. So yeah. again, I'm taking multiple systems and I'm bringing them all into my ecosystem. And I'm like the octopus in the middle. Like, okay, this system needs to be adjusted. This system needs to be tweaked. This system is not working. I need to replace it. This system is still up and running. So I can place some attention to this one. And so it's always a constant juggling act. And I'm still yeah. on the journey to figure out the equilibrium between the systems. And I think I'm really close to having all of them running effectively, but some of them need a little fine tuning here and there. That's cool. How many people do you actually have either on full or virtual staff? I'm at about 22 right now. Wow. So, so between the designing, the development, the copy editing, um, the podcast and you know now with vidfest i'm moving into like youtube because forever i always known youtube has been valued i've been preaching to all my clients get videos we've been shooting videos for everybody but it's like now it's like finally i have to be the bearer of bad news to myself and be like i have to step into the video space and i have a video editing background and all that and that's kind of why i kind of stayed out of it but understanding the value of it i have no choice but to create a system in video now so i don't know how many questions i have but i have at yeah. least one more if you, if yeah, you don't go mind. for it if somebody that's listening to this show now is one man show mm-hmm. and they're at that place where they're like, I need help, but I can't really afford it. But if I could afford it, I would, you know, it's kind of that, that juggling act before hiring the first person mm-hmm. uh, and uh, taking that uh, leap of faith, um, you know, knowing that you can pay them and you can, you know, you have enough work typically, but what, what is the mindset type advice you would give to somebody that is on that edge? to take the step, you know, who should they hire first or what would be kind of like the best use of their, of their um, money to pay somebody else for what kind of work? Like, you know, you've done this obviously mm-hmm. you know, probably multiple times now. So what, what would you tell somebody that's, that's, you know, beating themselves up over this situation where they need help, but they don't think they can afford it yet? I think the answer is probably more simple than we realize, right? So find the thing that you do the best. Like, so if for, like for me, I'm a designer by trade. That, that was my first degree. So I know I could design my ass off. And then I have all these other things that I'm kind of learning and growing. And it may sound kind of polar opposite. They would usually tell you to find somebody to do something that you suck at. But I'm saying find somebody to do something that you're great at because now you can systematize it. You know exactly what you're looking for. You know all the steps record the steps, make an SOW, make a statement of work and then have everything listed out and then have a checklist and then take that checklist and provide it to somebody. So now when they're doing this work, you can kind of just refer back to the checklist. You can know where their mistakes are because you're so great at doing that one thing. And then now you have somebody else. And once they get to the point to where they're at about 70% of where you are, then you can kind of take another system and apply it to something else and apply it to something else. So find the thing that you're great at. Whatever that is, if you're a great writer, find another great writer. If you're a great designer, find another great designer, find another great developer, whatever it is, put checks and balances in place and then let somebody else lead off with that because now you understand when they go wrong, how to pick apart and help them succeed. Yeah, that's a great answer. And as far as the money mindset where people don't think they can afford the help yet, mm-hmm. uh, you know, do you get, do you go and get somebody, you know, 10 hours a week and then ease them into something more or just do per project stuff like, you know, because I'm assuming that um, one of the keys in this thing is going to be, you know, do you have enough work and are any of the parts of that work totally not worth your time where you should be doing some more high dollar activities versus doing some of the low ones that you can outsource. But, um, you know, what would be the structure in that? Like, am I on the right track, like saying it this way? Or yeah. is there another, another key or another helpful tip that you would have, you know, outsourcing some of the stuff and knowing that you can actually pay for it? Yeah, so paying for it, I mean, obviously there's different ways of, of getting things paid for, right? I mean, through podcasting, you could probably get affiliates or you can kind of get people to kind of support and and make donations right and then you want to find somebody but when i find people i'm not just looking for somebody like my guy that edits my podcast he's a podcast editor on the system that i found him in but by trade he's a video producer and a script writer so for me i'm thinking in my head okay this guy is a good long-term person he's not in a bubble he understands where he can make money now, but he also understands this other opportunity for him to write scripts, to produce content. So for me, I'm thinking, okay, long-term, four years from now, I may want to do a TV show. 
Mm-hmm. He's been working on my podcast, so he understands my system. He understands my, like the, the, the conversations I'm having. So then I can say, hey, what would, it, what would it look like if we took our season one from two years ago and convert that into a script? But he's already on my team and he already understands. So I look for people that have dualities, people that have dual services. When I yeah. interview people, I'm saying, okay, this is what you're doing now. This is what your trade is. But what is it that you really want to do? Where does your passion really lie? You're doing this for money, but where do you want to go? And usually when I ask that question, the answers I get is one or the other. Either one is, oh, I'll do whatever you say. Mm-hmm. To me, it's kind of like, Shh, that person is not yeah. going to last long. And then the other person is kind of like, well, I, I enjoyed this, but, but I really, and I found one of my PAs like that. He was a PA mm-hmm. and he was helping me do stuff. And then come to find out he's like an application developer. I'm like, what the hell are you, what the hell? <laughs> Why the hell are you a PA if you, if you want to write code? So I, I migrated him from being a, a personal assistant into web yeah. development because that's where he wants to be. And since I've done that, I mean, he turns and burns 10 more items or tenfold versus doing BSPA stuff because I, I asked the question, he told me the answer and I fulfilled that requirement. Oh, that's great. And it sounds like you actually are definitely a leader and a people person because with 22 people to work, I mean, you know, I never had a dream of having that many people under my management and stuff because I just don't really enjoy that part. But you sound like you've cracked the code on these standard operating procedures and actually asking the right questions and helping people grow. And so if anybody that's listening really is in that stage, those I think are the most important traits of someone who wants to have staff or people mm-hmm. working for them. You really need to become a leader and get some education and self-development, maybe read some books on that topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise you'd be probably churning and burning through people that, you know, yeah. are never going to want to stay and probably not do a great job either. So yeah, but yeah. no great answers. So yeah, thanks for giving me the opportunity to ask some questions. Well, I, I definitely appreciate your time. And I think this was definitely a hell of a podcast and, and a hell of a, a two-way conversation. It wasn't lopsided by any means. So I definitely appreciate your time. I definitely appreciate the information that you gave to my community. And I look forward to keep following you and to see what other things you're going to come up with in the years to come. Same here. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to see how you implement some of the things that uh, you and I chatted uh, about before. And uh, yeah, good luck with all your ventures. You're doing awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an Uncaged Trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss Uncaged are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.